What up, Vineyard? Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Hey, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. Good to see you guys. Come on in. Come on in. Everybody good? Yeah, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Come on, computer, help me. Help me. Wonderful. Hey, we are in the midst of a series here at the Vineyard called Visionary Leadership, and we are walking through the book of Exodus, and we're looking in particular at Moses to see the sort of visionary the leader that the Lord wants to raise up in our community. One of the things that we feel like from the Lord is that Campbellsville is in need. Campbellsville in our region is in need of visionary leaders, uh, people who have vision, people who can see what's next and what's in God's heart, but also people who are leaders, people who are willing to go first. And we've been looking in particular at Moses, and we're going to do the same thing this morning again. Um, one of the things that you pick up on really quick if you begin to read the Exodus text is you begin to realize that the scripture is multi-layered and it's multifaceted. This story that we've been looking at, this Exodus story, it's not, it's not a flat text. It's not, it's not flat. It's, it's multi-dimensional. And uh, one of the things that we've seen already is that it's a story that's, you know, it's quite obvious. It's about, it's about Moses, uh, but it's also about God. And it's also about the group of people who are being oppressed and who are held as slaves in Egypt. But at the same time, it's also about Egypt. It's also about the rich, and it's about the powerful, and it's about Pharaoh. And up to this point, we have looked with both of our eyes toward Moses, specifically that we might be able to get a glimpse of what visionary leadership is. But Moses is not the only leader in the book of Exodus. He's not the only person who's holding authority and responsibility in the book. There's also some other leaders. And one of the other leaders that we have not looked at is Pharaoh himself. And in fact, what happens when you look at Pharaoh is when you do a little compare and contrast, you begin to see the degree to which Moses is really an exemplary person of God's kingdom, of his heart, and what visionary leadership looks like um, for you and I. Um, And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to consider Pharaoh just a little bit. And one of the first things that we have to consider about Pharaoh is right up front, you need to know that when we're dealing with Pharaoh, we're dealing with the most powerful man alive at the time. Uh, He wasn't just powerful in the sense that he held the highest position, which he did, and he wasn't just powerful in the sense that he had the most money, which he did, but he was most powerful in the sense that he was also considered a god. Uh, People people referred to him as a god. People treated him like a god. Anything that Pharaoh wanted, Pharaoh got. It was was kingly, of course, but then it went to another degree. There There was some other degree in Egypt, and it was more than just kingly reverence that was bestowed upon Pharaoh. It was, it was godlike worship, and we're going to see how that influences his leadership. He was the most powerful man on the planet. And if we're honest, we have, to, we have to admit that Pharaoh is in some ways the archetype that occupies our minds when we consider the topic of leadership. When you and I, when we think about leaders, whether we realize it or not, the person that's in our mind is most likely a Pharaoh and not a Moses. And what the Lord wants to do is he wants to put a Moses in our brain and take away the Pharaoh. When we start thinking about leadership as Americans, we think about Donald Trump 
And the Lord wants us to think about something different, something profoundly different. So we have to realize that when we're dealing with Pharaoh, we're dealing with an iconoclast. We're dealing with an archetype. We're dealing with something that isn't just modern, but it's ancient. And it's always with us. It's this story that keeps getting told over and over again. And part of the, part of the subversive nature of the scripture is the scripture wants to upend upend our assumptions of what leadership is. It wants to upend our assumptions of what vision looks like and wants to give us something new. It wants to replace it with the kingdom. And when we contrast Pharaoh with Moses, several things stick out really, really quick. Uh, for starters, Moses was not rich. Moses was not rich. The truth is, and you guys know this if you know the story at all, Moses was a herder. Uh, there's a good chance that Moses was a successful herder. There's a good chance that Moses was maybe like a real good shepherd. And perhaps, among other shepherds, Moses was maybe a little rich. But when you stand Moses the herder in Pharaoh's court, what you still have is a goat herder. He wasn't rich. By Pharaoh's standards, he was a nobody. And the same goes for Moses' sense of power. He was insignificant. He had lived 40 years in isolation, which is to say he had lived 40 years irrelevant. Some of us struggle in the room. Some of us struggle with feelings of irrelevance. We feel like God's calling us to do something, but we just feel, we feel incredibly insignificant. And part of the insignificance we feel is that we've just become irrelevant. Well, imagine, imagine not just feeling irrelevant for you know, a day or two or having a week of feeling that, but imagine living an irrelevant life for 40 years. It's one of the main things that Moses had to overcome. He was completely irrelevant. He was not at the center of anything. And at this point, Egypt was the center of everything. He may have been a powerful shepherd in the desert of Midian, but in Pharaoh's court, he was an irritant. Now, this isn't to say that Moses had no power. He obviously did. He had a snake staff. And when you think about it, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm Again, I want to... some new people here. I want to just be a little transparent with you. Um, as the pastor of the vineyard, I'm praying for a snake staff. Uh, there are gifts of the Spirit that are available to all believers in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. There are gifts of the Spirit. And some, some people here like pray for them. Some people pray, Lord, would you give me gifts of healing or, or gifts of prophecy? And those are good. But I'm praying for a snake staff because that would be awesome. The leprosy thing would be cool too. You know, that would be cool. It's not to say that Moses had no power. He obviously had some power and he had God encounters and he was anointed and he got an audience with, with Pharaoh, which would have been quite an undertaking. And he kept being able to have an audience with him, kept being able to speak with him. But there's no question that Pharaoh did not consider him an equal. And one of the ways that we know that Pharaoh did not consider Moses an equal with him is the way that he treated him. Moses would come in and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, no. And then Moses would come back the next day and he would say, let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, eh, no. So can someone get me a ham sandwich? And then Moses would come back and say, let my people go. God said, he's like, uh, anybody got a Coke? Can we get this guy out of here? He's mostly ignored. And then as the story progresses and God begins to release plagues on Egypt, Pharaoh begins to realize maybe he's dealing with something a little bit bigger than he thought at the beginning. 
but he still doesn't take Moses seriously. He'll say, yeah, I'll let your people go. And then he changes his mind. Changes his mind like that. He's tempestuous. He's a spoiled kid. He'll say yes one minute only to change his mind. Anybody ever been around that three-year-old? That three-year-old mom cooks roast for everybody and the three-year-old's like, you know what? I don't want roast. What I want is a grilled cheese. And then mom makes the grilled cheese and then what does the kid not eat? The grilled cheese. That's Pharaoh. He's like, where's my ham sandwich? Someone brings him a ham sandwich. He's like, eh, tacos. I need, what I need is tacos. Furthermore, Moses was unqualified to tell Pharaoh what to do. And no one would have known that more than Moses. And the reason that Moses would have known that was because he grew up in the royal court. Remember, he got drawn out of the river by Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up. And he knew that he was unqualified. He may have been a secret. He, who he really was, his, his origin, his, his ethnicity. It may have been a secret for a little while, but how many of you understand that family secrets never stay family secrets? It always comes out. Like That's the problem with the secret. Never, never have a secret. It just, it's going to come out. Whatever your secret is. That's, what, that's the reason that having affairs never works either. You ever notice that? Like when people have affairs, it, it always comes out. It's bizarre. Anyway, that has nothing to do with today. It may have been a secret, but eventually got out. Not only that, but Mer- Moses was a murderer, and that's why he ran away. Moses was a wanted man, but not for his opinion. And he would have been unqualified as an Egyptian because of his race, and he would have been unqualified as a Hebrew because of his actions. Whereas Pharaoh is totally qualified to lead. He's from the right family, he's got the right training, and he's been raised up in the right thought processes. And all of this says something about our illusions of what makes a great leader and where they come from. In the kingdom of heaven, great leaders can come from anywhere, and great leaders can be the least and the lowest and the lost. In the world, you've got to have the right family. In the world, you've got to have the right education. In the kingdom of the world, you've got to have the right thought processes. You've got to be raised up in a certain culture and atmosphere. But in the kingdom of heaven, you can be a nobody. Your last name can be terrible. You can have no money in the bank. You can have no education. But a yes to God trumps all of that. It it reorients our illusions. This is the subversive nature of the scripture. And we need to begin to see that, even this morning. Great leaders can come from anywhere. They can even come from Campbellsville. By the way, Campbellsville is the is the natural equivalent of Nazareth. It is. In fact, one, about 10 years ago, the Lord told me that Campbellsville is, is Nazareth. And great things are going to come from here and people are going to be like, are you, what? No. No, it's really true. It's really true. Jesus' stuff is going to come out of here. So great leaders can come from anywhere. The reason that that's a subversive thought for most of us in the room is because we've bought into some lies. Specifically, the lie of celebrity culture. Specifically, the lie that fame gives people more weighty opinions. That power is the only metric useful in determining if somebody knows what they're talking about. This got put on display a couple weeks ago on the internet. There's a quasi-famous Christian music artist who went onto Twitter and made some statements about what he believed or perhaps didn't believe about the book of Genesis, and the Twitterverse nearly exploded. You guys know, you guys ever heard of Michael Gunger? Heard of Gunger? Yeah, so Gunger goes on the internet the other day, and he says, you know, I don't know about all this Genesis stuff. And, like, the Twitterverse, like, 
nearly explodes, nearly melts down. The whole time I'm laughing, I'm like, well, you know, whatever. Michael Gunger can have any opinion he wants. But just because he's quasi-famous and writes a song that some people sing, doesn't mean that he's qualified to teach the church or tell anyone anything. But we believe it. And why do we believe it? Oh, he's somebody. He's somebody. It's instructive. It's instructive because it shows just how much weight we give to fame and notoriety, even in church. If a famous person says it, it must be true. And then if a famous person says it on the internet, it's the gospel. Now, this isn't to say that kingdom leadership isn't based on having certain qualities on board. You're going to need some stuff in the hopper, the hopper. But it brings us to the biggest thing. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) I've got popcorn in my brain right now. Jesus. But this brings us to the single biggest difference between Moses' leadership and Pharaoh's leadership, between the kingdom of heaven and the systems of the world. And the, king, the, the key difference between Moses and Pharaoh exists in the area of their will, which represents the key difference between two kingdoms. And I want to put a little graphic up this morning. We've got Moses on the left, and we've got Pharaoh on the right. And there's just some differences here. We'll go ahead and put those up. Moses can see oppression, but Pharaoh's blind to oppression. One of the, the, one of the main things that the Spirit did in Moses' life very early on is that he woke up to the fact that his people were being oppressed even while he still lived in Egypt. That's, the, that's one of the first keys to being a leader. Pharaoh's blind to oppression. Secondly, Moses had no worldly power. Pharaoh had all worldly power. Thirdly, Moses was unqualified. Pharaoh was qualified. Moses lacked riches. Pharaoh was fabulously rich. This is really big, and I don't have time to go into it today, but Moses responds to the invitations of God. Pharaoh responds to pain. We may have a chance to talk about that next week. But the biggest difference between them is, very simple, Moses is willing, and Pharaoh is unwilling. And if you read the Exodus story from Exodus chapter 5 to long about Exodus chapter 15, there's a word that keeps being mentioned over and over and over and over again with respect to Pharaoh. Do you guys remember what the word is? Hard. Hardened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And we're going to read four verses this morning. Just a little smattering to show us this very thing. Exodus chapter 4, 19 and 20, it says in this, And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Go. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. See, Moses is willing. He listens to the Lord. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And the next scripture. This is during the plagues. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God, meaning the plagues. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. And then 9.34. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased... He sinned yet against, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So now the hardness has spread from Pharaoh out into his servants. Four different scriptures there. And in the scriptures, one of the things that we see very basically is this, that Moses was willing and Pharaoh was not. 
Moses was willing to see God in the burning bush and to hear his call and to return to Egypt and to speak to Pharaoh over and over. But Pharaoh was not willing to listen. He was not willing to see. He was blind. He was blinded by his own power. Fifteen times in seven chapters, the scriptures say that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He was unwilling. He was obstinate. He was insolent. He was blind. Now, this isn't to say that the kingdom of heaven will not lack resolve. This isn't to say that, that having resolve is not, is, is not necessary. This isn't to say that visionary leaders are willy-nilly softies who just do what everybody wants to do. That isn't the case at all. In fact, when we examine the scriptures, one of the things we see about Moses right up front is that Moses has quite a lot of resolve. Imagine going into President Obama and giving him commands. Imagine going to the Oval Office. Imagine you have a dream and the Lord says, go to, go to the Oval Office, they're going to let you in, and tell President Obama what to do. Who would be intimidated by that task? I would be intimidated by that task. And we've got a president who like, shoots basketball and stuff. He's like a normal guy. You know, it's like, it'd still be, it would still be intimidating, right? I'd be, I'd be intimidated even asking anything of President Obama. Now, let's change the scenario a little bit. Now imagine if the Lord says, hey, I want you to go not talk to President Obama, but I want you to go and tell, tell Pharaoh what to do. And by the way, one of the key differences between Pharaoh and President Obama is that Pharaoh could have you killed and he wouldn't even think anything of it. Pharaoh would kill you and then ask for a ham sandwich. Could, could we get the blood up? It's sort of like ruining my appetite. Could we sweep this guy out of the room? Imagine continuing to speak with that kind of boldness in the face of what seems like zero change. So what we see here is that Moses is actually a man of resolve. And the hardness doesn't have to do with resolve. It's an issue of the heart in terms of being responsive towards God. And the hardness that exists in Pharaoh's leadership is callousness towards God and his servants. And a couple things that we need to note right now. If you know the scripture at all, if you know the story, you realize that Pharaoh's hardness is twofold. There's a strange dynamic there. Over and over again, in chapters 5 to 14, we see that Pharaoh hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart. But one of the things that we see over and over again as well is that the scriptures say that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's a dual dynamic. Anybody ever noticed that? Anybody ever read that and then realized that this is problematic? Anybody ever thought about that? Wait, if the Lord's hardening his heart, then how's this fair, Right? We do the math like that. Well, a couple things. A couple things. First thing on this. We need to realize that God is simply working with the raw materials that Pharaoh provided. God never makes anyone do anything. He's never made anyone do anything. God is not a dictator. God is not a dictator. If you've got a picture of God in your brain that is, that is a dictator, if he's mostly angry, if he's making people do stuff, then you've got a picture of someone, but it isn't Jesus. Jesus never made anyone do anything. He invites them. Remember? He's an invitation God. So one of the things that reveals to us is that God is simply working with the raw materials that Pharaoh supplied. This is how it works. Pharaoh supplies the iron ore, and then God forged it against him. The very stubbornness that marked his leadership, the hardness, the callousness, those are the things that God used against him. And in the systems of the world, what you need to be in order to be an effective leader is you need to be, uh, you need to be hard, 
You need to be a disciplinarian. You need to be uh, unrelenting. You need to be uh, iron fist. This is, you need to make people do stuff. You just, you just do it. And we see this over and over again. Wall Street is filled with these kinds of types. This right here. This iron fist type. And what we see is that God used something that Pharaoh had grown accustomed to because it's so darn effective, God used that iron ore and then he forged it in his fire against him. He's just using the raw materials that Pharaoh supplies. The second thing I want you to notice about this concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart is this, that God's justice is real. He's absolutely good. He is absolutely good. Um, And in fact, his justice is a manifestation of his goodness. How many of you understand that if I've got some kids and one of my kids is tormenting my other kids, if I'm a good father, I put a stop to it. God can't be good and not be just. They go together. His goodness, so whatever definition of goodness we have for God, if it doesn't include justice for the oppressed, we've got the wrong definition right away. The second thing I want you to realize about that is this. That because God is absolutely good and because he's working on behalf of the broken and the oppressed, if you or I want to be an idiot, go ahead, be an idiot. Anybody got plans to be an idiot this afternoon? Most people don't want to be the idiot that raises their hand that says they want to be an idiot. But if you do, if sometime this week you want to be an idiot, go ahead, be an idiot, live it up. But know this, do not be the idiot who oppresses the poor, the weak, the needy, the broken, the least, or the lost. Because when you do, God is looking. He's always looking. But on those moments, He's really looking. And He will not let anyone abuse the weak, the lowest, the least, the lost, the broken, the needy. He will not. The needy are near to His heart. And when you start messing with His, with his most vulnerable kids, the Father is looking. And by the way, He's a good Father. And He will not let you mess with broken people. You want to be an idiot? Go for it. Just don't be that idiot. Another thing I believe about this is I believe that God was at work in this way, hardening Pharaoh's heart, because Pharaoh and Egypt needed to see just how terrible their actions toward Israel had been for 400 years. How many of you understand that after 400 years of having slaves, you become numb to slavery? They'd become desensitized. The Hebrews were no longer people. And we know this because of Pharaoh's edicts. He says, you know what? These guys are getting a little bit strong. Let's just kill all their babies. Where's my ham sandwich? That's basically what happened. And then when that didn't work, he says, you know what? Let's just take their straw away from them and let's make them go search for straw and make bricks and somebody bring me a Coca-Cola quickly. He'd become desensitized. People had become commodities. They weren't human beings. They were tractors and trucks. They'd become machines in Pharaoh's eyes. And God had determined to show him just how much he cared for them. Furthermore, Pharaoh needed to know the utter weakness of his absolute will when it was raised up against the kingdom of heaven and his justice. So I want you to imagine something. Pharaoh has lived... Who knows how long Pharaoh had lived before he met Moses? We'll just say he's 50. He had lived a good portion of years and for 50 years he had gotten everything that he had ever wanted and he was raised in a house where every single thing he ever wanted was brought to him and it wasn't second rate it was first rate and his father had gotten every single thing he had ever wanted and not only did everyone serve them and give them everything they wanted but they revered them as gods their words held weight that was disproportionate for any human being can you imagine living in that atmosphere for 50 years where you get every single 
thing you want. After a period of time, something would happen on the inside of you and you would begin to believe that there's some sort of manifest destiny connected to the, everything that your heart wills. You would, begin to think, you would begin to think that the strongest thing in the universe is my will. And I believe that God takes that iron ore, he forges it in his fire, he hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he could show him over and over again just how broken he was and that his will was not the strongest thing in the universe, that he had somehow gotten into the ring with Yahweh and this was going to end differently. This is going to end differently. Not only that, but God was going to break Pharaoh's will over and over and over. And every single time, it was not just a manifestation of his justice, but it was also a manifestation of his mercy. He's giving Pharaoh a chance every time. So Pharaoh's leadership isn't just callousness toward God, hardness. It is that. But it's also rejection of Moses. It's, it's callousness towards God's servants. And this is also instructive because some people posture themselves as responsive toward God, but they will not receive anything that comes from one of his messengers. By the way, this is a very dangerous spot to be in because it often, it's often the beginnings of a Pharaoh heart being grown in our lives. It means that functionally we are the gatekeepers of all that God has said or has not said. And for all intents and purposes, we are God, even though we feign a reverence from God. How do we know this? Well, it's very simple. Does anybody, does anybody in life... Does anybody in life have access to my heart? Is anyone allowed to speak to me? Especially something I maybe didn't want to hear. You ever met that person? They, they were like, you know what? I love God or whatever, but I will not hear anything from any of you people. Yeah, see what's happening in those moments is we're beginning to grow a Pharaoh heart. We can't hear from other people. And God is going to speak to us in a lot of different ways. He's going to speak to us in a lot of different ways. But we need prophetic words. We need, we need the voice of the Lord that comes out of the mouths of people. Uh, God is going to speak through scriptures. He's going to speak through prayer. He's going to speak through parabolic events. Everybody, anybody in the room ever had like a series of events happen in your life and after a while you realize, oh, this is a parable and it's the voice of the Lord? If you haven't, you will. If you, it, actually, you have. You just didn't know it. Let me put it that way. Yeah, but one of the other ways that God will speak to you in your life is he will speak to you through somebody else's mouth. He will speak to you through someone else's mouth. And this is, this is one of the beginning challenges of growing and maintaining a kingdom heart as opposed to a Pharaoh heart. Secondarily, right along with that, uh, one of the tests that God is going to give every single one of his visionary leaders is he is going to not just speak to you in someone else's mouth, but he's going to speak to you from someone that you think is less significant than you. So Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the universe. God sends Moses. Moses is insignificant to Pharaoh, but Moses is the one that has the word of the Lord. So the test for every kingdom leader is not only can I hear the voice of the Lord in somebody else's mouth, but can I hear the voice of the Lord in someone that I deem as insignificant? It would be good to learn that now. God is oftentimes speaking to us in the mouths of the weak. God is oftentimes speaking to us right out of the mouths of the, of the irrelevant. Moses, lost in the desert for 40 years, comes, comes out of the desert with the word of the Lord. The people that we think are most irrelevant to what we need and what we're doing are probably the very people that God will bring to us. And it'll be a test. Can we hear him? 
That brings us to another issue. Why was Pharaoh deaf? Why was he hard? Why was he deaf? Even when Moses is speaking to him, why is he deaf? I believe there's three reasons. The first reason that he was deaf is because he was powerful. And we've already hit this a couple times this morning, but he was considered a god. How can a man who is revered as a god listen to God? And how can a man who is revered as the son listen to the one who made the son? This is also instructive. It's instructive for you and I because it's possible that the very strengths that you and I have on display, the very places where we have power, they can become blind spots and deafening agents in our life. Even gifts of the Spirit can become revelatory moments that provide blessing, but they can also become uh, blind spots. Um, we've said it a couple times here at the Vineyard before. Uh, you, don't, you don't just get blind by walking into the dark. You can actually get blinded by the light. Anybody here ever been out on the beach in Pensacola and you walk out of your hotel onto that white sand and it takes you about 15 minutes to like get your bearing? What's that? It's called being blinded by the light. Uh, the truth is, what you know about Jesus can actually keep you from knowing the next thing that he wants to say to you. Uh, everything you have can actually blind you to the next thing you, that you need to hear. What you've heard can keep you from what you need to hear. What you've seen can keep you from what you need to see. God rarely does the same thing twice in the same way. And so, this is what we see. Pharaoh was blinded by his power. Uh, and it's instructive for you and I. You and I could be, it's entirely possible that Everybody in the room could be blind and deaf because of areas of strength and areas of blessing. Uh, the very place that you and I have been honored and lifted up, it can make us hard and insolent. This is always the challenge of promotion in the kingdom. Uh, the biggest challenge in the kingdom is, is not being demoted, it's actually being promoted. The temptation in promotion is always hardness. And it's always a God complex and superiority. That's always the number one challenge. So Pharaoh was used to making demands, and Pharaoh was used to calling men to account, but now he was being called to account. Furthermore, most of us in the room have thought that the thing that was most important was what we had to say. But in the kingdom of heaven, the most important thing is the ability to hear. See, Pharaoh grew up his entire life, and the most important thing in Egypt was what? What Pharaoh said. That's not the most important thing in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, the most important thing is what Pharaoh can hear. It's the same for you and I. The person who cannot hear the voice of God, particularly the voice of God when it comes out of another person's mouth, and especially when the other person seems insignificant, is in grave danger of becoming a Pharaoh. The second reason that Pharaoh was blind and deaf, had a hard heart, is plausibility. That's a fancy word for what is reasonable. See, here at the vineyard, we educate. <laughs> this is a jump-off point from what we just talked about. Pharaoh was blind because Moses seemed beneath him, but then right tied into that deception is the addiction, the addiction to plausibility, a mind that only considers what is most likely to happen. It's an arrogance that's tied to practicality. This is, no, this is really hard to see. We have to really ask the Spirit to help us with this. So let me help you frame it just for a moment. Egypt was a great kingdom. It was the greatest kingdom on the earth at that time. Not only that, but Pharaoh was the most powerful man. 
Everything he ever wanted happened. If he wants a pyramid, he gets a pyramid. It doesn't matter how much time. It doesn't matter how many bodies. It doesn't matter how much strength or how many resources we've got it. We do it. Uh, in addition to that, but uh, the Hebrews had been slaves for 400 years. So imagine a great kingdom. You're the most powerful man, and you've got slaves for 400 years, and then a goat herder comes and tells you, let them go, or God's going to get mad. Are you likely to believe him? No, you're not likely to believe him. Why? Because you're blinded, by po- you're blinded by plausibility. You're blinded by what seems reasonable. You're blinded by practicality. The truth is, Pharaoh's got a great army. He's got all the chariots. And Moses, you're here. And yes, your snake staff is quite impressive. But I don't know how this, you're going to take these guys from me. You have no army. There's no one with you. It was unlikely to change. And Pharaoh leadership is always addicted to what's reasonable, and it's always, always, always addicted to what's practical. Now, let me say this. Kingdom leaders are also practical, but at the same time, we're not limited to what is reasonable. Here's why. The reason why is this. Human human reasoning is a gift. Would you agree? This is one of the things that separates us from the other animals, even the higher primates. Human reasoning is a gift. But if we all agree that it is a gift, then every gift denotes a giver, and every giver is greater. And when we begin to deal with God, the giver of our reason, the installer of what is practical, we've begun to reach into a domain and we've begun to deal with somebody who is at times unreasonable and will do things that are not plausible and are not practical. For instance, Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says that, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You need to understand this. Kingdom leaders are practical, but we're not addicted to practicality. Why? Very simple, because it's totally plausible for an irrelevant, lost goat herder from Midian to lead slaves out of Egypt with treasure. And in the kingdom of heaven, it's totally plausible for a 16-year-old boy to lay down a great giant. See, if you're addicted to practicality, you'll run in fear. And in the kingdom of heaven, it's totally plausible for one man's death to mean life for the whole world. If we're just talking about what's reasonable and practicality, that makes no sense. Except by the Spirit, we know it's true. The kingdom of heaven is practical, but it is not tied to practicality. And if you're tied to practicality, you are rooted into a system that will one day make you a Pharaoh oppressor. The kingdom of heaven is not a three-dimensional kingdom. It's plausible and it's not plausible. It's reasonable and it is not reasonable. It is explainable and it is not explainable. It is sudden and it is slow. It is expected and it is unexpected. We could do this all day long, by the way. And it's these tensions that we can't let go of. God is mostly into sowing, and then sometimes he'll just say instant. And we need both. And if we're addicted to one or the other, we'll miss what he's doing half the time. But Pharaoh was blind because he was a man of practicality. And then finally, Pharaoh was blinded by the possibility of loss. After several plagues, I believe that Pharaoh did the math he began to wake up to the fact that he had a bigger problem on his hands than he first considered. But even when he woke up to that reality, he would not let go. And one of the main reasons I believe that he would not let go was the pain of losing an economic 
blessing, and the economic blessing was slavery. I believe you began to do the math. Like, if these guys go, who's going to do? Who's going to make my ham sandwich? Right? Like, these guys know how to make the best ham sandwiches I've ever eaten. <clears throat> See, what we have can actually blind us to what God is doing. And we're so afraid of losing. Man, we're just so afraid of losing. It's one of the main addictions in America. It's, it's winning. We're so addicted to winning. Even in the church, it goes like this. It's God when it's blessing. And it's God when it's receiving. And it's God when it's expansion. And it's God when it's more. And it's God when it's increase. But that begs the question. What about when it's giving? And what about it when it's releasing? And what about when it's forgiving and setting free and making right and admitting wrong and getting low and humble pie? We're so afraid of losing. Jesus said you've got to lose your life to find it. You know, the first or last. You know, we need, to, we need to let go of our fear of losing. Losing isn't the worst thing in the world. It's really not. Especially in positions of power, we're so afraid of losing. One of the ways that you know that you're in a position of power and you might be afraid of losing is if all the rivers flow to you. This is what world system power always does. World system power always causes all resources, all strength, all energy, all rivers, all finances, all blessing to flow to them. That's what, that's what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh was an expression of a, river, of a river running in reverse. It was coming out of the earth, out of human strength, out of human ingenuity, and it all served Pharaoh. But in the kingdom of heaven, the rivers go out from God. There are two pictures in the scriptures of God's throne room and the river that runs in God's throne room goes out of heaven, not to heaven. That's extremely instructive. We're so afraid of losing, but the kingdom of heaven is mostly found in giving away. God is giving away. There is a river that runs in heaven and it's not running in reverse. It's running out of heaven and it's covering the whole world. The Nile ran right into, right into, right into Pharaoh's temple. This is incredibly significant if we want to lose the addiction to Pharaoh rulership. It's okay. It's okay to lose. It's okay to lose. Some of us can hear the word of the Lord if he's promising promotion, but we can't hear the Lord if he says go and serve. Some of us can hear the Lord if he's promising riches, but we can't hear the Lord when he says give. And when we can't hear the Lord in those instances, what we're really revealing is we believe that the rivers are supposed to come to our house rather than flow from our house. We need to change our paradigms here. The God wants to give us a new picture for what kingdom authority and kingdom ruling is. It is a river that runs out from underneath his throne. There is unlimited resources in heaven, and he's giving it away. He's giving, it's, the way, it's the reason that nothing ever turns back and goes to heaven. God is so full. He's so, he is so completely satisfied. He is so 
full of joy and life. There's such abundance around who God is that it just goes away from him. It just goes away from him. It goes away from him. And every time we build a trench, every time we dig a trench and begin to circle back toward us, what we're really revealing is that we don't believe that the river that flows from who God is, is enough. We believe it'll run out one day. We might want to rethink that. Because when we take on that mindset, we take on blindness. We take on deafness. We can't hear the Lord. Moses, can you imagine? Like it's a little bit hard for us to imagine now because Moses is such a thing, right? You grow up watching Moses or whatever, you know, he's like the guy. Could you imagine having Moses in your room and being like, nah? Yeah. That's profound deception. few questions for us to meditate through this week. And I'll go ahead and apologize. The first one is incredibly hard. First question we might want to meditate through this week. Am I supplying any raw materials that would be disastrous if forged in God's fire? It might hurt now, but it's better now than later. Paul says in Corinthians that everybody's going to go through fire and we're going to find out whether your work is wood, hay, or stubble. Everybody's work is going to go through. Is there anything that I'm supplying that would be disastrous if God forged it in his fire? Secondly, can anyone speak into my life? Anyone. Has anyone come to you in the last year and said, hey, I love you, and in fact, I love you so much that I'm concerned about this, and when they said that to you, you received it? Or at least didn't initially just put your hand out. Anybody? Can anyone speak into your life? Who has a right to speak into your life? If it's a no one, if it's never happened, I just want to say it's incredibly dangerous. Like I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. I've got a few people who are allowed to speak into my life. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, One of the people that's allowed to speak into my life is my brother-in-law. Actually, all my brother-in-laws are. But I've got, the Lord typically uses one uh, to to help me. Uh, And my, my friend, Eric Hurchin, has saved me more trouble than I, you don't even know. I almost did a boneheaded thing last year and Eric saved me. You need someone who can speak into your life. And then third, are power, reason, and possessions blinding me to God? Are my strengths, my addiction to practicality, and the things that I have blinding me to, the God, to God and to the nature of his kingdom? Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't you uh, stand up? And if you're on the ministry team, come on forward. Hey, before I pray for you, I do want to say this, that if you're sick in your body in any way this morning, come on up. We want to pray for you. I uh, had a lot of really, really great healing ministry here at the, the Vineyard uh, First Service. It was wonderful. The Lord loves doing that. By the way, in case you're new, like the good stuff is not stuck in the Bible. Like the good stuff, like Miracle Jesus, man, he's, he's still walking around. He's got, he's got miracles in his pockets. More than you need. Awesome. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? I want to pray for you. Father, we love you in this room. And God, we ask that you would continue to, to deliver us from any sort of Egypt heart or Pharaoh mindset. God, we ask that you would give us a Moses heart and an Israel mindset. 
God, we ask that you would, that you would, by mercy, just remove our blinders and remove the stuffing that's in our ears. Father, when people come to us with words of life, God, would you make us sensitive to them? And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who is wonderful. Amen. Amen. Hey, give somebody a high five and a hug. Like for real. The Mass is ended. Go in peace.